This, um, for those of you who are relatively new to the church or something like that, this is the dreaded uh, melting pot retreat sermon. I have had the dubious honor to give this sermon a number of times. Um, and usually there's about 20 people, and I have to say something like, okay, why don't you guys come here? And All right, we'll pretend like we're having a good time. Okay, but today, it's not like that, and I appreciate you all coming. That's, that's really sweet of you. Um, and uh, I will be sure to give Neil a good uh, report on your behavior while he was gone. So You will not be put under church discipline. Um, no, it's true. There's church discipline. Yeah. Okay, um, so for the past couple months, I was, uh, I've been thinking about something based on sort of the circumstances in um, my life with Aaron. Some things have happened, and I, I just got to thinking, there's this one part of the Bible that just kept like pounding in my head. Um, it's Matthew 5.5, 5, and the, the verse is, the meek, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I'm sorry? Meek, yes, right, right, yes, that's right. I, I've spoken to some of you about it, actually, um, Ork and Brent. I've, uh, I've talked to you, I, I've just been feeling like, oh, there's something wrong. I, I don't know, I can't figure it out. When Jesus originally, originally this is a secret, and um, I don't want you to tell Neil, uh, my original title for this sermon was, Blessed are the meek and other lies of Jesus. Okay? Now, that's pretty, that's pretty heretical, and I, so I'm not going to use it. But the, the reason behind it is because I kept thinking about the meek shall inherit the earth, and I kept thinking about some of the stuff that's going on in my wife's life, and I was like, that's not true, Jesus. That's just not true. Frank Zappa had it right. I don't know if you guys know who Frank Zappa is. He's a crazy musician. He has a song called, The Meek Shall Inherit Nothing. The meek shall inherit nothing. And that, I don't know, to me, that, that just seems to be more accurate, right? Well, and that's the great thing about uh, preaching the, <laughs> the, the melting pot sermon, the melting pot retreat sermon. I can do whatever I want. So I'm going to talk about the meek shall inherit the earth. I'm going to tell you, I'm going I'm to walk you through the, the journey that I went on, trying to make sense of this this lie, this inaccuracy. Another secret about preachers. Don't tell Neil. Um, when you're coming up with a sermon, occasionally, you're reading the Bible and you get a little embarrassed. Because Jesus says something that's just outrageous. Something, oh, well, uh, oh man. Uh, the classic example that I was talking with Aaron about last night is... Um, what is it? It's, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of, of, of God. Now, if you're a preacher and you come across this text, you have one goal in mind. You start digging up stuff, you start doing research in order to find out that it's not true. That what Jesus is, sounds like he's saying is not what he's saying. We don't have to worry. That's your job as a preacher. Like you're going, because, whoa, I mean, let's be honest. Can we just can we be honest for one second here? We all live in America. In the grand scheme of things, we're all rich. Is it really that hard for us to get into the kingdom of God? Because it sounds like that's what Jesus is saying. So the preacher has to like start digging, right? Start start going through and like and, and massaging the text to like make it say something that's a little bit more 
palatable, a little bit more easy to deal with. So, that, well, if I have to do the melting pot retreat sermon, then I'm going to do that with the meek shall inherit the earth. So I did. I, uh, I started doing some research. So the, what's the first thing you do uh, when you need to do some research? That's right, Wikipedia. Or even, even a more on a broader level, get out the internet machine and use the Google. So I did. I used the Google on, uh, on meekness. And it turns out that I didn't even have to do any work because in the last 50 years, there's probably been 10,000 sermons about meekness. Who here has heard a sermon on meekness before? Has anyone? Okay, good. Yes. Well, so it turned out that all I had to do was just print it out and then bring it with me. And so, so I, I brought it. I brought, the, uh, I brought the sermon, and all I have to do really is just read it to you. So, very convenient. And it turns out that all the research has been done for me. See, okay, here's, here's the deal. Okay, I know it. Well, what, what does meekness sound like? What do we, who, are the, who are the meek? Weakness. Weakness, right, yeah, exactly. Like, gentle people, mild people, Right? Do we have any examples? And I mean, obviously me, but besides me, anybody else that we can think? Yeah, Corey. Corey's meek. That's true. Yeah, he is. Um, so, so what we do is we, it turns out that if you do the research, Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, had a definition of meekness, right? And his definition, um, at one point he's writing, is called strength under control. And so what it turns out, the, the actual meaning of meekness is, is it's not, it's not weakness, it's not gentleness, it's not mildness, it's actually toughness. It's like an inner reserve of strength. It sounds really great. It's kind of like, um, it sort of reminds me of a lot of action heroes that we see in movies where, you know, they're beaten down and they're just, they're like, and, and they, 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 they control themselves, they wait for the right moment and they strike back. So, well, clearly. And then what you do in the next part of the sermon is you say, that's the definition of meekness. And then we give an example of it from the life of Jesus, which um, is almost always him overturning the, temp- the tables of the temple, right? Because he, had, he, was, he was angry, but it was controlled, and he, he controlled his anger until the right time, and then he unleashed it. He had strength under control. Jesus is meek. Meekness has nothing to do with weakness. QED you don't actually have to be meek the way you thought of it. That's not what God wants from you. It's not. And all we had to do was turn to Aristotle, find that out. Thank you, 4th century B.C. Greek philosopher. You have totally made my problem go away. So, that was... Well... I made a big mistake. When you're doing research, when you're preparing for a sermon the worst thing you can do is keep going once you've got your answer. If you've already got the answer, the last thing you want to do is dig more. Because you never know what you're going to find. Well, I'm kind of a philosophy nerd. Some of you may know that. So, I was like, ooh, Aristotle. Let's read some more of that. And I started reading what Aristotle actually says. And it was a little bit disturbing. But because I know that most of you here don't care about philosophy, I've decided, with the help of some of my friends, 
in the, uh, the audience to, to, to sort of display for you what Aristotle means uh, by meekness. So, um, friends, yeah. Okay. Here's the situation. Yeah, get up here. If you want to want to be front and center, you can. All right, the situation is this. Um, Carly, you're going to be over here. As, uh, as many of you know, Carly is um, one of the nerdiest and most disliked of the people in the high school youth group. On the other hand, Corey is a pretty popular guy. Rolls around with a big posse. A lot of strength, a lot of toughness. Um, and it just so happened that, uh, that in this little... We're going to get a glimpse of something that happened last week. Carly, you smell like cheese. Oh, Carly, no. Oh! Go ahead, get on her. Ah, oh, pound her. Beat her up. Beat her up. Go ahead, knock her down. All right, fantastic. Wow. Okay. My, these are these are my these are my understudies. This wasn't the, this wasn't the first string to say no. Um, that was an example of what Aristotle calls irascibility, and this is anger that is totally out of control. See, Carly, she heard this this horrible insult, and instead of instead of waiting, she just said, "Ah!" and she went and she attacked Corey. I challenge you to a duel, and then because she was at the wrong place at the wrong time, she got beat up because she, she couldn't control her anger. Right? That's irascibility. All right, that's not, that's not a good thing. Okay, Carly. So the next week, um, Carly, uh, Carly learned her lesson, and uh, the, following, the following thing happened. Carly, you smell like a skunk. Just, just, just tell him that you kind of agree with him. Like, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I do smell like a skunk. Okay, now bow your head and walk away. Like, oh. Yeah, that's right, you do. Get out of here. Oh. See, Carly learned her lesson, right? She didn't want to get beat up. So she did a little something we like to call passivity. Right? And she was like, um, she sees the posse. She knows that this is going to go badly. And so she's like, oh, yes, I do smell like a skunk. And she walked away. Saved herself some bruises, right? Aristotle calls this passivity. Again, not a good thing. Well, Carly was tired of being picked on. And so the following week at youth group, this is what happened. Carly, you smell like skunk cheese. Upping the ante. Okay, now what Carly is doing right now, she's acting, okay? This was her acting like Aristotle's definition of meekness. What Carly did is she listened to... Actually, you guys can... Brilliant work. Brilliant work. I'm very proud of you. All of you. Well done. Um, Carly heard that she smelled like skunk cheese. She knew that if she attacked immediately, the posse was going to beat her down. At the same time, she didn't want to lose her honor... So she didn't want to just agree. So what Carly did is she put her strength, her power, under control. And she began scheming. Hmm. I see your deal, Corey. I see what you're doing. But you won't be so strong later. 
when your friends aren't around. <laughs> you won't be so strong when you're lying at night in bed in your boxers and no one is there to defend you. And what Carly did that, that next week is she went and while Corey was asleep, she cut his leg off. Yeah. Because she's meek. That's right. That's what Aristotle means by meekness. It's awesome. If you keep reading after the part where he says meekness is in between, like, anger, he's like, oh yeah, you know, the problem is that these meek people, they never have the guts to go through with it. You know, they, my problem with meek people, Aristotle says, is he always, they always come off like women and slaves. People who are meek are like women and slaves. And in Aristotle's world, that was not a compliment. Aristotle did not value women, and he certainly didn't value slaves. They were both less than human in his eyes. And the reason was, is because meek people, nine times out of ten, don't understand their own honor. They don't understand their own dignity. They never get to the place where they're scheming vengeance. Because that's what meek people do. That's what people who have the virtue of meekness do. They wait until the right place, the right time, and then they get theirs. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Yeah. That would be true. That would be true. If Jesus was telling people, saying, happy are you, my friends who are meek, because you're waiting for just the right time, and just the right place, and then everybody who's done you wrong, you're going to go and plant a knife in their back. The ones who thought they shamed you, you're going to destroy them. And then the world will be yours. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Well, I'm happy when I, when I learned that. I, re, I was, oh, that's great. I can give a sermon about myself. Because I do evince that sort of meekness. Recently, I was in a car accident. And it wasn't my fault. But the insurance company, went, went, they went after me. And I was very upset about this. But I put my anger under control. And instead of yelling at the people on the phone, I got my friend, who's a lawyer, to harass them for me. And you know what? I got mine. That's right. Meekness under control. The insurance company never saw it coming, man. They, they thought they had me cowed. And now they're sending me my checks. So I'm doing a pretty good job on the Aristotelian version of meekness. But I have to be honest with you. I just don't think that's the kind of meekness that Jesus is talking about. I don't think that Jesus is talking about the sort of meekness that waits for its chance That doesn't just take it like women and slaves. Oh wait, no, that is what he's talking about. Hold on. Yes. Who just who wait for their chance. I don't think that Jesus is talking about a meekness that's really just the terminator in disguise. So I was I was starting to get nervous because, you know, Neil gave me like two months to figure out this sermon, but I, I thought I had it wrapped. 
was going to do the Aristotle thing. It's going to be fine. And then, of course, on Monday, I start reading Aristotle, and then I'm like, ooh, can't do that. So as a last resort, I uh, did a Bible study to try and figure out what's going on in this thing. And um, I don't know. I'll, I'll share a little bit of it with you. What, we can, why don't we just go ahead and read the Beatitudes? That'll, that'll be fun. All right. This is uh, on page 510 of your pew Bibles. It's Matthew 5, 1 through 10. Um, by the way, I, last time I preached, I went Diet Coke, but that was awful. So. All right. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall wait for the right time and backstab everyone who's wronged them. No. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When I was talking to Erin about this, she brought up a question. And I'm, I'm taking the liberty to do this because Neil does it all the time, and you can't blame me for it. He likes to call them rabbit trails. All right, this is a short rabbit trail. I find it of interest. Maybe it'll help you. Maybe it won't. If it doesn't, pretend like it did and make me feel good. Erin asked the question. She said, well, isn't this Jesus talking to the disciples, right? Because that's what it sounds like, right? Uh, and seeing the multitudes, he went up to a mountain. So he's like running away from the multitudes because they're bothering him. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. So there's the 12, or maybe, you know, 40, 50, some people who are committed, something like that. It's hard to say. Um, and then he opens his mouth and tells Beatitudes. Jesus talks for two, two chapters, ends at chapter 7. And this is uh, 728. This is the very end of his Sermon on the Mount. It says, And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Then uh, beginning in uh, 8.1, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. So at the end, it sounds like there's all these people there. And at the beginning, it sounds like it's just the disciples. And there's a little bit of a question, like, what's going on here? Who, Who should be hearing these Beatitudes? Who's listening? Because that might change the way we think about the Beatitudes. Well, what's going on in Matthew, if you, if you do like a study of the Gospels called the Synoptic Gospels, the three Synoptic Gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, follow the same plot. The actions of Jesus are essentially the same. It starts, you know, in Galilee, ends in Jerusalem, and along the way, it follows basically the same geographical map of Jesus' wanderings. What you find is that in Mark, Mark's all about the action. Mark's all about the action hero. Everything, it's, Jesus does very little teaching and does a lot of like healing and fighting. It's not, no, not fighting. Healing and casting out of demons, fighting the enemy. Um, when you get to Matthew and Luke, you find that not only does Jesus do these things, but in places, 
where Mark, they literally use Mark's words. They basically just, just use exactly what Mark said. And then they, they fill it out. They make it longer with some of his, they're more interested in his teaching. So when you have, uh, in Matthew and Luke, you have all these places where Mark had left off, and they kind of like went away from Mark, and then they filled in for people who, who maybe didn't know Jesus like Mark did, um, some of Jesus' teaching, so that they could hear Jesus' words um, in, their, in their, the story. Uh, there's like a whole theory about how this all worked out, and there's, I don't even want to go into it, but basically what you have in uh, Matthew 5 through 7 is Matthew is stopping, and he's saying, here's a great place to give you a taste, dear reader, of what you might have heard if you were at one of Jesus' sermons. Because Jesus is running around preaching the gospel, the kingdom of God. That's what Mark says. Mark will say, hey, he went around preaching the kingdom of God, preaching the gospel. But as time goes on, a lot of the people don't know. Well, what was the, the gospel? What was, what was it that he was saying that people heard as gospel? And Matthew, um, from some of his sources, fills in the gaps. And so here in Matthew 5 through 7, and then in Luke, it's later on in Luke, but Luke does the same thing. And you'll get a lot of the same teaching in Matthew and Luke, but just in different places. Because they're trying to, to fill out our story of, of who Jesus is and what he was talking about. Um, if you're interested in it and you're afraid that I'm committing heresy, uh, I guess email me. Um, Tom at coastbible.org. All right. So, the point is, is that for, for what, we're here, what we're hearing here is we're hearing... Jesus' pronouncement of the gospel, pronounce, pronouncement of the good news to the people, to the multitudes, all right? And who are these multitudes? They're, uh, you know, they're middle class, lower class, probably not the rich. This is in a northern, this is taking place in the north. Um, it's uh, probably middle and lower, and lower class. These people, if you were Aristotle, remember Aristotle, if you were to look at these people you would think of them as women and slaves. Because over the past 100 years, these people who are hearing Jesus' message were the very people who got run roughshod over by the Roman Empire. And these weaklings, these cowards, didn't have the guts to take up arms and fight back. the Romans treated these people with contempt because they didn't understand what real meekness was. They were more likely, more inclined to go by the usual definition of meekness, which is weakness, which is passivity, which is letting wrongs go unpunished, which is allowing yourself to be taken advantage of which is allowing the people who, who, who thirst and, and hunger for power to take it. Which is allowing people who, who don't care about you and yours to get away with it. And so Jesus comes to them with a gospel, with good news. And he says, blessed, you could translate it as something like happy or, hey, good news to you. It's a, sort of a, it's based on like a proverb type of speaking in, in ancient uh, times. A lot of proverbs would be like, blessed is the rich man, for 
you know, he is able to provide for his family. Something like that. And we get some of them in the Proverbs. But Jesus turns it all upside down. He says, happy, good news. Good news to you poor in spirit, you down and outers. You left behind. For yours is the kingdom of the heavens. Blessed are you who are mourning for your lost, exiled, beat-up families. I'm telling you, you will be comforted. And blessed are you weak, passed over people. The day is coming when you will inherit the earth. The day is coming when you will have your rule. And happy too are you, you who are starving for justice and righteousness, for things to be set right, finally put back the way they're supposed to be. Blessed are you who are so hungry and thirsty for that, for you will feast. Blessed are you who give mercy instead of judgment. You're going to get the same thing. Blessed are you, pure in heart. Because even though it doesn't seem like you are now, you will see God. Blessed are not you warriors, but blessed are you the peacemakers, the one who come and try to set clashing swords and put them aside. You are going to be called the children of God. And blessed are you who are persecuted, who suffer for the sake of having things set right. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. See, my study took me to a place where I realized that it's not true what Jesus is saying. None of this is true. The people who are weak keep getting passed over. The down and outers haven't seen the kingdom of heaven. The the mourners keep on wailing. And the merciful are judged and cast aside. The peacemakers are called cowards. And then I got to thinking, keep waiting. Keep waiting. Hold on. It hasn't happened yet, but it will. It's coming. Victory is coming. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. The beginning of the kingdom is here, and he's going to come back. And when he does, 
You meek, you weak, you women and you slaves, you will rule the earth. And this makes me happy. Not because I will be doing any ruling, because we can be pretty sure that's not going to happen. I am pretty good at looking out for myself. But there are people in this church whom I love very dearly, who are meek, who don't seek after themselves, who are willing to let go a wrong, who are willing to stand aside and get passed over and get ignored. And while it pains me to see them hurt now, I look forward to the day when I am serving them in the kingdom of heaven and things are the way they're supposed to be. I may not be meek, but I'd like to think that I'm hungry and thirsty for justice, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, and I cannot wait to the day when I'm filled. So, what does that mean for us? It means, uh, I'll tell you what it means. It means that the Holy Spirit is here, right? And Jesus inaugurates the kingdom of God with his resurrection. And he sends the Holy Spirit to do what? To build up a church. Now, the church isn't just fun and games. The church is the foretaste, the preview, the first glimpse of what the whole world is going to be like in the kingdom of God. And that gives us marching orders. That means here at Coast Bible Church, we need to see the meek inherit the earth. That means that we need to be handing over responsibility and power to the people who normally don't want it. We need to be elevating and setting up those who normally are low. When people come in this door, they shouldn't be seeing the same sort of thing that they see everywhere else, where the power-hungry and the grabbers get theirs and everybody else just gets kicked out the door. They should see the whole thing turned upside down. And they should walk in and be like, wow, how can this possibly work? This is a huge mistake. <laughs> they should be so confused, so ugh, that they're shocked they're, they're, they're unable to process what they see here. So for those of you in leadership in this church, myself included, elders, I'm calling us and you to give the meek this church. To make this a place where the meek rise up. And as we do that, we will become faithful witnesses Faithful witnesses to the coming kingdom. Faithful witnesses to the risen Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the promise that the meek shall inherit the earth.
We thank you that the world order that we see around us today is not the final word. We thank you that you have good news, gospel, for the people who get passed over, who get stepped on, who get shoved aside. We pray, Father, that you will make Coast Bible Church an enduring, faithful witness to the truth that the mourners will be comforted, the meek will inherit the earth, peacemakers will be called sons of God, that those who are hungry and thirsty for setting things right will be filled. We receive the good news of Jesus today. We worship you for it. And we ask you to conform our lives to it. In his name we pray, amen.